If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. Here we are, 2024. Welcome to another episode of And Security for All. For those of you that join us frequently, I have a little bit of a different background today. Um, I'm out in our ski condo in Utah, not doing a lot of skiing. I don't know if um, any of you out there are skiers, but Utah last year had record-breaking snow. I mean, it was insane last year, and today we today we got a little bit of dust. So not at my normal place, but happy to be out in the mountains and excited for today's show. And we are excited for 2024. As all of you know, I am the CEO of FutureCon Events, and we travel all over North America hosting cybersecurity conferences. Last year, 2023, was really great. Um, almost all of our events were standing room only, so we are excited to kick off 2024. We start in two weeks, two weeks, um, well, less than two weeks. We kick off in L.A. We have three back-to-back -back shows. We kick off L.A., Chicago, and then Dallas, so excited to see you all in person again. As uh, all of you may know or may not know, we run all of our events in a hybrid mode. So if we come to a city and you would like to see our speakers, you can always turn in, um, to tune in virtually and catch all of our shows. You can catch all of our content of our keynote speakers and our guests on Voice America on the FutureCon YouTube channel. And you can catch all of our past um, guests on Voice America, on, at Voice America, any place where you listen to your podcast on the um, and security for all. Just type in and security for all. So with all that uh, stuff being said, excited for today's show. We have a great topic, which um, we haven't discussed before on the show. We're going to talk about the psychology of insider threats. We talk about insider threats all the time, but we haven't really specifically talked about um you know, threats within our own organizations um, and some of the organizations of our, you know, attendees that are out there, our teams and everything. Jonathan Kimmett, he's the CISO of um, Alias Cybersecurity is my guest today. And this is what he deals with on a regular basis. We're going to chat about the motivation behind employees turning against their organizations due to disgruntlement, financial incentives, um, you know, some Idea, ideological um, motivations, and what does this do to the culture of the organizations and the teams that are kind of thrown in the middle of this in these certain situations? So we have a lot to talk about, and I'm very excited for today's guest because not only um, is he, you know, the CISO of Alias Cybersecurity, he has been my guest host on the show for almost many times last year and excited to have him continue to do that. So welcome to the show, Jonathan. Thank you, Kim. I really appreciate it. Um, I, uh, I'm excited to be here as a guest. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've been here maybe once or twice in the past, you know, be able to, to, 
to talk with you and, and engage and converse. Uh, but the other times I'm usually with a guest or with a computer with chat GPT. And, you know, I was really excited to be able to come in and talk with you today. Yeah, that was fun. I have, I have a good time when you're, when you're hosting these shows, I'm usually traveling back from a city and I try to catch you and I really enjoy your shows. So thanks for doing that. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, You've had some transitions and to 2023, you switched. Was it was it last year that you switched from the university over to this job? It was. It was in January of last year. So I'm going up on, well, uh, January 5th of last year was my last, sort of my last official day for the university. So it's been right about one full year that I have been with Alias. Well, tell us a little bit about that because I've used you as a... Um, as a, a example of what you did over at the university, it was really great that you built, you know, a SOC team out of the students that were going through there. I think that's just such a, just such an amazing example of what you can do at the university and help the future of our cybersecurity practitioners. But how's that been for you, like switching away from the university? And tell us a little bit about that. And are you keeping in touch with any of those students? And now what are your what are you currently doing over at um, Alias Cybersecurity? Yeah, it, it was it was it was very different for me. I mean, coming from I was with the university for twenty. Um, there's two numbers. There's twenty six years. That's when I started with the university originally as a student. Uh, then I graduated. Um, I left for a time, and then I came back, and I spent twenty two years as an employee with the university. So it was. Uh, I, I spent a long time there. Um, I was there for nine years as the CISO, and then I believe I joined the computer security response team about mid two thousand, so two thousand four, two thousand five, somewhere around there. So I've been security there for a very long time and see so for nine years um, I uh, you know I when I look back and I'm very proud of what I was able to accomplish at the university and and one of the things that I'm most proud of is that sock and the interactions I had with students and this goes beyond that in which we did at the sock I also uh, when I ran the help desk uh, when I my first job there was actually running the help desk and I did that with students. You know, I had, I don't know, 60, 70 students come through the help desk over the years that I uh, and I tried to be a mentor to them. I, tried, I taught them. I gave them, you know, the skill sets they needed to be successful at the help desk. And many of them left and went on to do technology jobs. And I was very proud of that. You know, I had, I had several students that came to me over the years and says, listen, um, I am doing... XYZ degree program, but I know I'm not going to get a job in this. I'm not going to make money at this. So I need to have a skill set to fall back on. Um, I had one student that she loved playing the piano and she was wonderful at it. And she says, listen, I, I know I'm not going to make any money playing the piano. And so I, I want a job doing this so that I can have something that I can do to help me do what I need to do, but still be able to play the piano for fun. Uh, she was with me for three or four years, actually, and eventually she graduated and she went on and she went to a, uh, a help desk position at an oil and gas company and she moved up through the ranks there. And the last I heard, she was kind of that director level or lead level for that team. So I was I'm, that was when I think back about my time at TU and all the things we did, I, I had a lot of great people I worked with. I had a lot of great experiences. Um 
but that working with the students, I was, I'm really proud of that because I was, I felt like I was able to give that little piece to them to be successful in the future. And when I did the SOC, I was doing that same thing. I wanted to give skill sets to those students that they could turn around and go be successful out in the security field. Uh, and I've got, I've, I've stayed in touch with several of them on LinkedIn and they have been very successful. Um, in fact, a couple of them have just recently uh, graduated in December um, and they have gone out and gotten some great jobs uh, here in the local area, you know, the, the Midwest. And I, they're great students. They had great skill sets anyway, but I like to think that I had just a little bit of help on that and, and give them a little bit of direction in the security world. So that, that was one of those, those fun things. And, you know, some of my best memories when I came to alias, um, I, uh, the, the CEO reached out to me, uh, and the team reached out to me and they says, listen, we love what you did. Um, all the stuff that you did at TU, we love what you do for the industry. We want you to come and do it for our clients as well. Um, and I, 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 I couldn't say no. I mean, it was just an opportunity that it was right for me. It was right for my family. Um, and I don't regret it one bit. I, I miss a lot of people at TU. I mean, 20 some odd years is a lot to, uh, to, to walk away from. Um, however, when I walked in and the team, it was, it was just great. I mean, they open arms. They helped me. Um, you know, it, it's not that they threw me at the fire, but, um, they brought me in and we went through the fire together and we did a lot of fun stuff very early on. Uh, in fact, uh, I like to tell this story. Um, I, first day there, uh, we were actually moving into our new building. So I come in in a suit and tie and we're moving furniture. <laughs> so helping, I'm, I'm helping moving furniture, getting the desk in place, doing everything, uh, the second day I was there, so it was, you know, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, the second day, uh, I'm helping pull Ethernet cable and the walls, to, you know, the new drops and stuff and having a good time with that and, and interacting with the engineers and everyone there. Uh, the third day, um, I was asked to go help out on an incident response. And, and basically, they came to me as a Jonathan, uh, we need you to go out and do this incident response. It's like... I do a lot of incident response in my past, you know, computer security response team and stuff. Um, but I don't know all the pieces that you do. He goes, you do it like you do it. You, you've got the skill sets for this. I was like, absolutely. We did it. We were, it was great. It happened really, you know, everything fell into place. It worked well. Then I get a call from, from, from our CEO and he said it was about four 30. He goes, Jonathan, I need you back at the office. It's like, okay, what's going on? He goes, you're going to be on TV. Oh, <laughs> okay. So within the first three days of coming to uh, to Alias, I uh, I was moving furniture, pulling Cat Five, doing incident response, and I was on TV for uh, an interview on uh, Zoom uh, attacks and things like that. So it was a lot of fun. Um, and ever since then, it, it's it's been great. I've been able to help. I've got a lot of clients that I work with uh, that are great. I love working with them. Um, 
there's a lot of uh, opportunities for me. I get to do the the things that I really love to do, and that's uh, policies and procedures, GRC, auditing, security programs, training, tabletops. Um, I get to do that. It's fun. I get to help organizations. We get to find the attackers and get them out of the networks. We get to pre- you know help protect them. I mean, there's all the different things, all the things that someone when they imagine a security job that you get to do i get to do it um and i've got a great team to work with and um you know one of the things that i always talk about in terms of how do you know if you have a good team is when you want to be there for them at three o'clock in the morning because they're working on a problem, you don't even question jumping on the line to help. And they don't even question that they're going to jump on the line for you to help. So it's, it's pretty amazing. It's a, it's a great place to work. Um, I, uh, while I do miss a lot of the people at TU and the the students and everything, I'm, I'm very happy um, that I'm with Alias now. Well, that's awesome, and I I, can, I suspect um, before I started FutureCon up, you know, my old company I was there twenty plus years, and there is that craziness of wow, you know, you're leaving that comfortable environment that you're in, your email address, even your email address changing after twenty plus years. Yeah, I remember my daughter saying, "That's so weird that you have a new email address. You used that all my all her life of growing up, you yeah. know." So, yeah. but but it definitely get it's about getting out of your box, and you know, the yeah. future kind of said nothing but it's 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 pivoted me into uh, such a better place of the comfortability I was in before. So I can definitely relate to you know the excitement, but yet the scariness of leaving something that you were probably very comfortable with. Uh, It was, I was, you know, um, I didn't really know how comfortable I was there. I'll rephrase. I didn't know how uncomfortable I was going to be coming to this position. Um, And it took me about two months, honestly, you know, I could do the job, but you know, you have that imposter syndrome um, and you have Mm -hmm. those. And actually this is some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today, but it's that emotional connection that, you know, those social pieces that you have within you that affect you and, you know, make you doubt yourself or make you think other things and whatever. And, and when I came here, um, I did have those doubts. I was like, I don't know how to do this. You know, I've been at this job for X amount of years and, uh, you know, do I really know how to do this job? Um, and, and and I'll give um, Donovan, my CEO, all the credit in the world because he never once doubted me. Um, he was always there to support me. Um, and he, uh, yeah, I think he still tests me now. Um, he, uh, he'll throw something at me just to see how I react. Um, and of course I've always been the mindset of, you know, if I'm told to go, you know, chew the bark off a tree, then I'm going to chew that bark off the tree and then, you know, then some. And so when he, uh, it's a lot of fun working with him and for him because he, he, he pushes me to get better. Um, he's supportive of me getting better. And, And that's really, that's, I think one of the best things that I have found working at alias is every single person that I work with and I work for, including all of my clients, um, 
they are so supportive and so happy that we're helping them and that they need the help. You know, I'll walk in. Um, here's a perfect example. We were doing an incident response, um, I don't know, about a month ago or so. And uh, and I got called in, you know, because we try to we only try to have people there for so many hours and then have someone else come in and you know, take over. So, you know, after so many hours, your brain's just not working right. Anyway, so I come in, I actually came in the, the second day or so, and I walked in and and our team was there. They had gotten there about 30 minutes before I did. And I was looking around and I'm like, did everyone get some sleep? Do you guys have good food? Are you really, are you taking care of yourself? You know, we'll, we'll do a little technical stuff for sure, but are you guys taking care of yourself? And I was asking the supervisor this, it's like, have they gotten sleep? Have you brought in good food for them? Have you... And one of the guys pulled me aside. He goes, I've never thought about that before. I've never thought about the people side of this. You know, we always get so hung up on the actual incident and the technical pieces. And, and he was thanking me for coming in. And that was the very first thing that I asked him was about his people, about the people, you know, all of us, you know, the, our team and his team and his leadership. And that was something that... You know, I've always said, and, you know, and I've said it on this show many times, you know, you start and end with people when you're dealing with cybersecurity, you know, you got to protect people. You've got to make sure your people are okay. And, um, because of that, when I look around at our clients and I look around the people that I work with, the people that I, you know, that brings me in to speak or do whatever, um, they generally always have that same mentality. It's about protecting people. Um, and that's really important to me. Um, and I see a lot of organizations where they don't do that. None of my clients and none of the people, but I, I, I hear stories and I'll, I might have to go in and do investigations for a variety of things. And I see how people are, you know, treated and it's not people first, you know, from a cybersecurity point of view and such, and it just doesn't work well, you know? So I, uh, again, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I'm very happy where I'm at. Well, and so let's kind of transition into that because it does take, you know, I feel like being a business owner for 25 plus years, I've seen a big wave, a big movement of people and how people work for you. And I'm, I'm very lucky. My team right now, I have the most dynamic team, and, but it took some time to build, to get to that place, you know, you don't walk into a perfect world, you know, uh -huh. so, so you, you have ups and downs and, you know, you, your, your company is only as good as your culture. And it didn't used to be that way a long time ago. Yeah. So things have shifted and um, the employee, you know, talking about insider threats, you know, things have changed and I don't know exactly did it change with COVID? When did it start changing where, you know, you had to start worrying about some things that are happening inside the organization? And, you know, I won't get specific. I've had a couple of incidents I personally had to deal with that I, I won't use as examples on the show. But I know that you, this is something you have to do. You have to go in and help people that may be holding data, you know, may, may be holding data, the keys to, you know, the data because they're disgruntled and hot, hostile. Let's talk about that and let's talk about what you're seeing in the industry and where has this changed and why has it changed and how did this how did this all of a sudden become such a huge issue where I feel like 10 years ago it never was. 
you know, I think that there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, I think some of it did start during COVID, but there was times before that that I had to do investigations on people and what they were doing and how they interacted with the organization. And, and, and you know, for me as a security professional, uh, as a CISO, uh, there, was a, there was a line, you know, there was a line for, you know, when I am working with someone and they're an employee, my job is to protect them as well. But then there's that line with when they cross it and they're putting people at risk. And my job was to protect those people and the organization from them. And it happens a lot of different reasons. I mean, I have seen it happen for a lot of different reasons. Um, and when we, when I had to deal with those or I've had to deal with them in the past, you know, I'm always working with HR and general counsel and, and usually they're coming to me and saying, Hey, Jonathan, we have this issue and, and we need your help to deal with it. Um, and a lot of times my job would be to go in and put the story together. I, I'll pull emails, I'll, I'll pull computers, I'll tap traffic, I'll do a variety of things. Um, I had this one instance where the, the supervisor and HR came to me and they say, Jonathan, we believe this person did this thing. And it's like, okay, well, I mean, I don't know if they did it or not. And I can't necessarily prove that they did one thing over another or why they did it. I can tell you what the computer tells me, you know, what the logs tell me and things. Um, and in this one situation, uh, it was a harassment issue, um, specifically someone showing someone else a picture uh, that was concerning. But we had to find the picture. So if we found the picture that they described on the computer, then, you know, HR could do whatever magic that they they did. Well, we couldn't find the picture. Um, the picture was not on that computer. And the, the director of HR at the time, he, he literally sat down. I, I collected all the evidence for him and he went down line, you know, file by file by file, picture by picture by picture, which there was a lot and he couldn't find the picture. Um, and he, it was at that point, he was like, I, I, I don't know what to do. I can't find this picture. Um, he called me in that, that Monday morning and said, Jonathan, I spent all weekend looking at this stuff, almost got a divorce over it because I wasn't at home with my wife and, and we kind of made a joke of it. And, uh, and he says, okay, well, if I, if I can't find this picture, what, you know, what do we need to do? It's like, well, that's it. I mean, the data is there. So I was helping him go through it and we found something else that was concerning and we, we worked off of that for a different reason. But, you know, to an extent, my job was to protect that individual up until the point of saying, hey, wait a second, you know, what you guys are trying to do may not be legal. You know, I have said that before. Uh, I had a, a request once from a supervisor that I had to go, no, what you're asking me to do is illegal. So we can't do that. Um, it actually went to the general counsel. Uh, I took it to the general counsel. It's like, hey, you know, I believe this is illegal. I'm not a lawyer, but I believe this is illegal based on other things that I've done. She goes, absolutely, you can't do that. It's like, yes, ma'am. Uh, went back to the supervisor. We can't do that. It's illegal, blah, blah, blah. 
Um, and it was at the time, it kind of felt like it was an emotional response from that person. They were angry at their employee and they wanted them fired. So they were reaching for anything, you know, and they said, well, this has got to be there. So go find it. So you kind of have to balance that stuff. You know, we had one where there was a, an actual problem. We have another one where someone just said that there was a problem, but I think that that really goes into that psychology piece and why people may get disgruntled if they have problems within the organization that they don't otherwise know how to deal with appropriately, you know, go work with HR or do whatever, then they might reach out and do bad things. And from an insider threat perspective, that's the one thing that I am really worried about. It's really hard to attribute an action um, to an individual through intent. So we all deal with phishing and spam in our email, right? I mean, everyone does security awareness training and they always talk about, you know, hey, if you get this sort of email, it's asking you to give me your phone number so I can call you, I'm in a meeting or go get me some gift cards or go get me this or what. We, all, we get those, we get those all the time. But one of the interesting things that we have is as we are teaching people not to click on those things because they can harm the organization, we're also teaching them that they could click on those things to harm the organization. So with that in mind, if someone clicks on a link in an email and it ransomwares their computer and it ransoms across the network, how do I know as a CISO that that person did it intentionally or they did it by accident? Now, that is, that's really interesting. Are you seeing, I've never even thought about that as another, you know, way to be host, uh, hostile employee. We, we had a situation here in, um, in the local area that they believe that the organization went down and went hard down, heavy ransomware across the network. And they believe it was because someone clicked on the link intentionally. You know, this was right in... 2020-ish or so, and it was, they felt like the person was angry that they were being forced back into the office after COVID. You know, they could, they wanted to be able to do their work from home, but we couldn't prove any of it. I mean, we could prove, I was not involved in this, by the way, I was not doing the investigation, um, but I was working with the person who was doing it, you know, giving advice and whatever. And, and what they said was, I know the initial infection came from that computer. We believe it came from the email. We believe they clicked on it intentionally because they were angry. Um, it's like, well, I mean, that's a different issue. That is a that is a intent issue. Attribution of intent is really difficult. So that was one of those things that I started doing pre uh, presentations on is. We have to, because we are teaching security awareness training, we are actually teaching people how to hurt the organization by teaching them how to protect themselves from the organization. And most organizations don't think of it that way. They've never thought of it that way. It's like, oh, yeah. But if you have someone that's angry with you and they go, well, I got this email, double click. I mean, that's that can really hurt the organization. And then there's... You know, that's just so hard legally to, you know, we're in a place, you know, because I've talked to, you know, my attorney, our attorneys several times on situations. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, this is a new area for, you know, the legal, you know, it's a new area for them. They they haven't had to defend these types of crimes because they are crimes. So, you know, I guess this is new stuff that they're probably case studying in law school, but it's for, you know, older attorneys. This is all just brand new for them. And I'm actually surprised. We occasionally will get some attorneys that will show up to our events, but it's very, and it's one, you know, maybe every six months, you know, that are trying to learn more privacy, I I guess. I don't know. I mean, I, I think a lot of the law firms are outsourcing yeah. their CISOs and stuff. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've worked with a lot of law firms in the past um, when I was at the university and I was doing the vendor contracts and whatever, especially for privacy compliance. I mean, I would talk to them and say, Hey, I need to talk to your privacy lawyer. And the firm would go, we don't have one. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, well you need to get one or you need to contract it out or whatever. Uh, but yeah, it is a, it's a new field and the field is changing, you know, um, now that doesn't mean that we don't have things that we can do as part of our organization to protect against some of this stuff, but it is a, a new threat that is, it's really kind of come on to its own in the last three or four or five years. Um, and it's, uh, it can take a major toll on the organization, both at a technical point, a technical level, but also on the social level, you know, the social level, because if you get, honestly, you know, they talk about one bad apple, you get that one person that is doing bad stuff for a variety of reasons, and they can just take the whole organization and spin it around. And that's, that's fairly, I mean, it's not new in terms of having a bad apple in the organization and being disgruntled, but the impact it has on the organization, the impact it has on the technical side, it's very different than it used to be. You know, when we're talking about organizations have more records now of data subjects than they've ever had. Um, when we talk about life safety systems and controlled by the technical systems, um, it's a uh, it's a very different world. Um, I have seen many organizations who there was one person that had complete control of everything and they could make one wrong decision or one disgruntled decision and they could do a significant amount of damage. So when you have that person and and say you're lucky enough or fortunate enough to get that person out of your, your organization, you know, there's as a business owner, there's a lot, you know, you wouldn't go put something out on like this. Don't, don't ever hire this person. You know, like, like, why was I not warned? I, I wouldn't, but what right. is your advice about that? It's, it's, you know, they tell you if you let someone go and somebody, my, my attorney tells me if I let someone go and somebody calls for a reference, you're not really supposed to say that you fired them. You're just not supposed to say too much at all. And that's kind of the, the code word for, yep. you know, it wasn't good. You know? So, I mean, yeah, you get into a lot of slander at that point. You got to be really careful on that. My understanding, and, and this may be just be local to Oklahoma, um, my understanding is that a lot of organizations have the rules in place that they may say uh, we that that HR and always direct the, uh, the questions and stuff over to HR if you have an HR department. Um, but if someone calls up and says, hey, you know, this person is, uh, we want to verify their employment. 
um, that HR would generally verify the dates. Uh, they wouldn't tell them the dates. They would just verify it. So the other person had to say, we have that this person started in blah and ended in blah um, and verify salary. Um, and I don't even think that that's a requirement. I don't know. Again, I'm not an HR person. I have really good HR people that I go and I ask this question. I worked really closely with them for many years. Uh, so these are the questions that I would go and ask them. But as it relates to um, if you're verifying someone's employment, um, I think that they will verify things such as uh, the dates that they work there and they might verify the salary. Um, it used to be many years ago, I'd hear people say that they would verify if the person is eligible for rehire. Um, I don't think that that's a thing anymore. Um, so, and, and it's because of, you know, why people leave. Um, they might get fired, they might resign, uh, they might get laid off. I mean, all these different things. And you never know what that reason is. So me as a prospective employer, I may want to call and ask for a reference and call ask these questions. Um, but you kind of have to be careful because they may not be able to tell you for sure, you know, to protect that other person. Um, and you, you kind of have to be careful because it may be that they were in a bad situation in that environment. Maybe their supervisor hated them or whatever. So they got out for those reasons. So it's kind of a balance of, you know, as you're otherwise trying to get this information. However, what I tell people to do is, uh, the interview, the interview process, that engagement process, um, is really important. But so is the networking side. So I am very big into networking in like chapters, ISSA chapter, ISACA, Infragard, you know, whatever it may be. Get to know this person two years before you hire them. <laughs> that way you kind of know who they are and you've worked with them and you know them. Um, I knew Alias Cybersecurity long before I worked for them. Um, because I'd seen them at conferences. I had met every one of their engineers. They knew me. We had engaged. We, you know, all these different things. I knew once the conversation started that I liked working there. I would, I would like working there. I like working with those people. So when I'm, when I'm talking to people and it's like, Hey, you may not have that job forever. Make sure you're going out and being part of ISSA and you're being part of the different chapters and things so that people get to see you and get to know you because that gives you a better understanding of who they are. I'm not saying you can't find a good candidate just from an application that comes in. You've absolutely could, but the more, you know, the more you've interacted with them, the, the safer you might be on that just because you've got more experience with them. Yeah, a certain situation I had recently when I hired this person, you know, I had some other people that knew, you know, this person. They said, oh, perfect person, very intelligent. And then after I started cutting ties, they were like, oh, yeah, we're so happy that we don't have to deal with that person anymore. I'm like, well, why didn't you tell me this in the beginning? You know what I mean? <laughs> that would have saved me a lot of grief, but people... So it's hard when you're talking about somebody that can disrupt and hurt your company. Yeah. It's just such a fine line. And hopefully, you know, people don't have to go through it, you know, and maybe if you go through it, you only have to go through it once, you know, but it definitely, well, when you start sharing stories, there's a lot yeah. happening out there. Well, and, you know, just like we talked about uh, on the, the last show that I did with Julio and Nathan, where we're talking about, do you test your employees 
for the risks they may pose to the organization. And we were talking about extortion at that point, but I think that that's actually a valid point because you have some people in the organization that are very critical. They're either very high risk for whatever reason that they have a risk level of that, or they've got a lot of access to the organization, or they have a lot of access to the network. They might have domain admin, whatever. Um, I think it is appropriate to make sure that you are testing them in a variety of different ways. Now, that doesn't mean you um, you test them like you give them a, a psychological test or anything like that. But I would absolutely be doing background checks on them, uh, regular background checks. Um, you might even, depending on the organization, depending on the um, the, the type of position they have, you might be doing credit checks on them or debt checks, you know, depending on what, or, what uh, uh, um, industry you're in. Because things change. People change. Their, uh, their quality of life changes. There's a whole variety of reasons. Now, when we're talking about an individual, that, that's one thing. But when we're talking about all the data subjects that you have in the organization and this one person can put all those people at risk, then I think it's an obligation. I think that if a CISO or a security professional in the organization or even leadership, if they don't at least evaluate those risk levels and the possible threat and vulnerabilities of the social side, the person, then I mean, that could be negligence. So for a lot of organizations, I'm, I am encouraging them to do risk assessments on people, not just positions, not just the technical things, but actually on the individual person that is in that position. And then really think about that um, because they, if again, if you have one person to really do bad things, then it could turn around and hurt the organization. I don't know if that's you or me. Uh, I think it's me. I think I just lost power. Give me just a second. Can <laughs> well, that's not good. I know that there's a, uh, some, uh, yeah, uh, Jonathan's in Tulsa and I'm not back in St. Louis, but I know that there's some, uh, bad weather coming through the Midwest. So hopefully whatever's happening has nothing to do with weather. We, we didn't, we could still, I think we can still hear you. It was just some Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've got, I've got all of my, uh, all of this stuff on battery backups so that I don't lose anything for you guys. But my, uh, my computer over here, uh, kind of died. So I think, uh, I think we are having storms right now, so there might be something going on out there. At least there might be. Yeah, yeah, I heard there's some. I'm not at home, so I heard there's some bad weather coming through. But right. um, you know, going back to you know some of these insider you know threat, it, it just what is your advice if somebody is out there dealing with something right now and they're listening to the show and they're in a situation. That that can be really hard because yeah. you know it, it it's such a touchy situation if somebody has access to something and and they have more power than you. Sure. And of course, you got to gain your power back. 
Yeah. But what do you, how do you, how do you navigate through a situation like that? Well, and, and I've helped organizations do that. So I, I'm going to say there's a couple of things you do. Uh, number one, uh, you have to get an objective opinion. Go and get somebody who's dealt with this before, whether it be a uh, um, a CISO or a, a forensics team or someone to come in and help you with that stuff uh, because they can come in with an objective thought processes. And, and that's really important because they can treat this as an incident and you can do incident response as part of it. Um, the other side of it is policies and procedures are really important. Um, so having policies and procedures of how you back up data, how you back up your user accounts, um, who has access to things, you know, the checks and the balances and the, and the reports and things like that. Um, one of the things that I like using as an example, I have a lot of bank clients and, uh, it's it's really amazing to see what happens inside of a bank because they've a lot of banks have really strong mature processes as it relates to the flow of money. Um, so as money moves around the bank, either from a teller or from uh, transfers, ACH transfers or whatever, they have some really strong controls around that of who it, who is doing it, where is it being done at, you know, what's the checks and balances, and they they do all these things, including um, this is something that I learned many years ago that I just love mandatory vacations. Now, the reason why they do mandatory vacations in the banks is to make sure that no one person does a process by themselves with no checks and balances. So when you have that person that has a mandatory two-week vacation, the bank has to make sure that they have that process as a backup or they have someone checking in and making sure and validating it, all these things. So they've got some really strong processes for that. And so I rely a lot, I, I tie in their cybersecurity processes to the things that they've already got for those, you know, how do you access this? How do you verify this? How do you do these things? Because that really helps them. Well, what they do is they say, okay, what's your policies and procedures? How do you implement that within the organization? And then they have periodically or periodic audits, periodic checks to say, okay, do you have backups? Do you, do you know where your code is at? Do you know where your passwords are at? Is it in password manager? Do you have it exported out? Can you recover from it? You know, all these different things. Because a lot of times what I see in organizations is a, uh, um, well, I, this is a perfect example. I had, this was an organization I was working with. Um, it wasn't mine, but I was working with them. And they, uh, they had a, a person who was going to get terminated um, and they reached out. I was like, okay, what do I have to do to protect the organization? So I asked them a few questions about it and I was like, well, you don't know, you have not verified that you have all the passwords to all the, the critical systems. So why don't we go in and we'll install a, a device, a key logger on the computer. We'll capture his key logs, you know, for a few days, a week, whatever we have. And then when you terminate, we'll at least have that. And we got it passed by general counsel. We, we talked to everyone. We made sure that it was all, everything was fine, that it was legal. And we did it. A uh, person got terminated. And come to find out about three or four weeks later, they had a system die. It, it locked up. It it went down, and they didn't know how. They didn't know how to bring it up. They know they and they tried to get into the system. They didn't have a password. They went into their password manager. They they couldn't find it. 
So I went to the keylogger and I found where that person had logged into that system. I found what password they use. I used that password. Now, this person had intentionally not kept the password in the password manager because they wanted to, we feel like, they wanted to be the controller, the master of that system. They didn't want anybody in it. And if if they were going to get fired or if they were going to quit, they basically wanted to screw the company. Um, but we were able to get around that. Um, and we used a tool. We used a hacker tool. We used a keylogger for it. And it, the general counsel talked to me afterward and they said, this is, that was a great idea of doing that. So I've done that many times where I've had to go in and do that to the organ, do that organization. Again, you have to do it with permission. You got to make sure you've got all your, your legal bases covered. But when you have someone who is disgruntled and they could hurt the organization, sometimes you have to resort to those practices to make sure that you are going to, you know, protect what you have at that organization. Well, that's a, that, that's a frightening thing, especially if you don't have somebody in your organization that knows how to do these things like you do. Right. You know, I mean, especially for like a mid-sized company, which, you know, those are the companies that are probably getting hurt the worst yeah. are the companies that don't have the funds to have a Jonathan Kimmett on staff <laughs> or a general counsel on staff or HR on staff, you know. You know. Where you're absolutely right. And, and how I help those companies is I try to get it on the front end. You know, let's say we do an employment agreement. When you're doing an employment agreement for an IT person, for someone who's doing IT or IT security even, there are certain things that you should put into that agreement to state that this person will do this thing, you know, that they will maintain the security systems, that they will store the passwords in X amounts uh, or in the password manager, or they will do. So you, you kind of get that front end. You set expectations very early on. That doesn't mean that they're going to follow it, you know, per se. I mean, they could just say, well, you know, screw them. I'm just going to do what I want to do. But that's where those audits come in. Um, so one of the things that I used to do uh, as a CISO at the university, uh, I'd have my staff do it, is we would actually go through the password manager system. Um, and we would pull every password and we go try to log into the systems with it. And then we would do an inventory log of all the systems and say, okay, I don't see an admin password for this system or this system or this system. Or when we go try to log in with the usernames and passwords, if they didn't work, we would note that on the report and say, hey, these passwords didn't work. So it might, in those cases, help the organization stay on top of it and say, why, why doesn't this password work? Oh, I forgot to update it or this or that or whatever. Now, here's the one thing I will say. Sometimes you have to kind of go into that next level of incident response where you bring in someone after the fact. But if you can do stuff beforehand and set expectations, um, you can sometimes head off problems. Um, you can limit the access or limit the, the problems before it becomes a bigger problem for the organization. Now, I'll tell you, it's not easy. It, it isn't. And I've seen this a lot in organizations where they get into that insider threat, they get into those pieces, and they kind of get 
in a bind um, and they're fearful. You know, it's like, Hey, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I don't know how we're going to, uh, but that's, there are people out there like me um, that have done this before and that they can come in and they can say, okay, let's sit down. Let's talk about this. Let's, uh, let's talk about the systems you have. Let me put my stuff in place. Let's do this. Let's, you know, we can help you through that process of figuring out what you need to do to protect the organization, how you need to do it from a legal side. Um, and generally speaking, we've got the background to be able to tell you, okay, this is at a level that you need to contact the police or the FBI or whoever. And then they can, we can work with them and bring them in appropriately to, to help protect you because that's really what it's about is about protecting people. And when you have an insider threat, when you have someone that may be causing a problem in your organization, then you really do have to have that, that expertise and that experience to come in and, and deal with it. The other thing that I would recommend for people um, is it's really hard to step out of the environments, to step out of the mindset of dealing with people because you may hire someone, you may trust them, you may work with them, and then they change. What I tell people is if I was having this issue and I was asking for your advice, what would you tell me to do? Um, and I actually did that once. I, I called up uh, the person. They, they called me and they were asking me these questions. And I finally talked to them and I said, okay, well, here's the deal. If I was in this situation, what would you tell me to do? And they go, oh, well, I'd tell you to do X, Y, and Z. Um, it's like, okay, then that's what you should be doing. Let me help you with it. And we went through this process and we helped protect the organization. We you know, got the backups and we did the key loggers and we did all these things. So sometimes it takes that outside mindset, that outside, okay, this is, this is, I can't deal with this because I'm too tied into it. Let's go talk to someone else. Let's bring them in and ask the questions of them. Now, your general counsel can be very helpful in that sometimes, uh, especially if they've had experience in it uh, because their job is to protect you and protect the organization. Um, and then sometimes you need to get to a CISO or a forensics firm or an incident response firm to kind of help have them help you work through the process of how do we protect the organization before this thing happens. Now, um, from a disgruntled employee, uh, I have many times worked with HR. HR will come to me and says, hey, we're going to do this thing and you know, this person's going to be terminated and whatever. Um, and they'll tell me, it's like, we're afraid. We're afraid that they're going to do significant damage to the organization. Uh, and I have been there where I was there Security was there. Police were there. We were in the room together because I had to do my part on the securities, on the cybersecurity side. The, the security guards had to do the physical security, and then the police had to do the criminal side. So you bring everybody together, and you all work towards that goal of protecting the organization. And, you know, I think that there probably are situations where you have some of these disgruntled employees that forget what they're doing is criminal. And, oh, yeah. you know, um, so I think that's just a really something to think about for those people that could be out there doing bad things to companies. I mean, there still are consequences of what you're going to do to companies. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, not just, I mean, there's the criminal side for money. 
you know, if you're going to affect the organization. You also have the criminal side of the data subjects. If you have data on people or information, you know, their, their PII, whatever. But you also have law, privacy laws. You have uh, the Computer Abuse and Fraud Act. I mean, you have a variety of things that someone could be um, in violation of. So that's, that's one of the things that I try to get system system administrators to understand uh, in IT is they are now much more responsible and liable for their actions and their decisions that they make. And it may not be just the organization, you know, getting onto them. It may be a federal regulator that's coming in. It may be law enforcement. It may be the SEC. It may be the Department of Justice. It may be a variety of things. Um, and in, in some cases, that is absolutely the right thing to do. I mean, we just saw it, uh, the, the you know, kind of a separate issue, but the SEC is now um, targeting a, um, a CISO from an organization that had a data breach. Um, mm -hmm. Several years ago, uh, there was a memo that went to the Department of Justice that that very specifically said, it's called the Yates Memo, and you can do a search for online and find it, but it's the Individual Accountability for Corporate Wrongdoing. And in that memo, it talks about they are telling agents of the Department of Justice that if they're doing an investigation in a corporation for a wrongdoing, that they're not just going after the the corporation itself and fine, fining them. They're going to the individual decision makers. And not only from a fining perspective, they're going after from a criminal perspective. And the other interesting piece of that memo, they are allowed to share the information that they find in their criminal investigation with civil attorneys. So not only do you get the criminal, you know, criminal side, you know, violations, you also get the civil side attacks, you know, the, the, the lawsuits and things. So, and that was in a memo. You can go read it. When that came out for IT people, uh, it, it, it hit us, it hit the industry pretty hard. Like, oh, if you are a decision maker, if you make this decision to do this thing, you could be held personally and individually accountable for that thing. Yeah, we're in definitely different times. We've had I I it's been a while since we've had a live show, but that's one of the topics that we recently talked about, some of the um litigations that are going on with some of the past CISOs or current right. CISOs of companies, which is a scary place for the IT world. You know, that's a whole nother show. But right. um but for the smaller people and the smaller companies, it doesn't mean that that, that is not accountable to you as well. You know, it's not absolutely big guys. I mean, I think isn't there every certification that you get? Isn't there some sort of oath that you have to take? Yes, that is. That's one of those big things that if you have, there's many of my sort. I have. I don't know, 12 oh, we have one minute left too. So we're down to the end. So I am so sorry to cut you off, Jonathan. I wasn't <laughs> looking at our engineer for everyone out there. This also records on Voice America. Jonathan Kimmett, I could have sat here and talked with you for hours. CISO of Alias Cybersecurity. Thank you so much for um, being on the show today. And we'll definitely uh, have you back because you're probably doing one show in the future, probably this month. So thank you so much, Jonathan, for this was a lot of fun. Hour. Thank you, Kim. All right.
Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of And Security for All. Um, I hope everyone has a safe and secure weekend, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events. cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at FutureConHQ. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host seamless podcast started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher.